This is Weekly Report, produced by the Polynet Podcast. My name is Serjan and I'll be your host today. I hope that you had a good week and that you are ready to hear what happened in the world politics in days behind us. In this episode, we will talk about the escalation of Israeli-Palestinian conflict that really shaped this week, and we will try to learn its complex history in a few minutes. In the United States, in one of two most important parties, the Republican Party, was an internal conflict that resulted in the removal of Congresswoman Liz Cheney from the Republican congressional leadership. Why is this important and what former President Donald Trump has with it? Also, we will briefly talk about the situation in Colombia and announce our next episode. Stay with us. On Monday, Israel celebrated Jerusalem Day, its national holiday commemorating the reunification of Jerusalem and the establishment of Israeli control over the old city in aftermath of the Six-Day War from 1967. This year, Jerusalem Day will definitely be remembered. Everything started when Hamas, a terrorist organization who has control in Gaza, launched a rare rocket strikes on Jerusalem after hundreds of Palestinians were hurt in clashes with Israeli police at Al-Aqsa Mosque. At that Jerusalem neighborhood, a long-running legal battle is being fought between Jewish settlers and Palestinian residents. The settlers argue that the Palestinians are living illegally in homes that rightfully belongs to Jews who left after the establishment of the State of Israel and occupation of West Bank by Jordan in 1948. The Palestinians believe they are the rightful residents of homes they have lived in for more than 70 years. There were protests and Israeli police fired tear gas inside Al-Aqsa Mosque, where among 300 Palestinians were celebrating its Muslim festival of Ramadan. In response, Hamas attacked Israel, launching rocket strikes and Israel fought back and we got the biggest conflict since 2014 in that area. The question is, how did Israeli-Palestinian conflict started? Most people think that Israel-Palestinian conflict is only because of religious diversity, but it isn't. It's about the land which both sides consider their own. Also, it is not some biblical forever conflict. All started in the last century, when national awakening started in many parts of the world, including Arabs in Palestine who started calling themselves Palestinians, and Zionism among Jews in Europe who claim that Judaism is not only a religion, but national identity. Palestinians wanted its independence from Ottoman Empire and later from Great Britain, and Jews wanted Jewish state with its center in Jerusalem, its holy city. The problem is that not only Jews claimed Jerusalem its holy city, but also Christians and Muslims as well. And here we are. Jews immigrated in British Palestine, Palestinians started to fight for its independence, and Great Britain left the divided country approved by the United Nations in 1947. The UN gave Jews the state of Israel and independence to Palestinians, keeping Jerusalem as a special international zone. 
Arabs from the region didn't like that idea because it remembered them of European colonialism, so they declared war on Israel, who won the war and controlled more than two-thirds of former British Palestine. And other parts were controlled by neighboring countries, West Bank by Jordan and Gaza by Egypt. Conflict didn't stop there, so in 1967 escalated the famous Six-Day War, which Israel won again and occupied whole Palestine, including Holy Jerusalem and parts of Syria and Egypt. It all led to Camp David Accord in 1978, mediated by the United States, after which many Arab countries, officially and unofficially, started to make deals with Israel, leaving conflict exclusively to Palestinians, who stayed occupied by Israel. Palestinians relied on PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, created in 1960s with goal to destroy Israel. In the second half of 1980s, the national uprising started, known as the First Intifada. At the same time, a group of Palestinians in Gaza created Hamas, because they see the PLO as too secular. In 1993, Oslo Accord happened, when Palestinians got some authority to govern themselves. Palestine has agreed to recognize Israel's right to exist in exchange for Israel recognizing the PLO. At the beginning of 2000s, the Second Intifada happened, when Israelis understood that they cannot end the war, but they need to control them. So they withdrew from Gaza, where Hamas gained control in 2007. Israel continued the war against Hamas. This continue to this day. This week, the conflict escalated, and both Israel and Hamas launched hundreds of rockets and the number of killed civilians are rising, including children. Israel, as militarily superior, destroyed among many buildings that they see as headquarters of terrorist organization Hamas and residents of their leaders, also the International Media Center in Gaza. Israeli military started to concentrate its forces on the border of Gaza, which look like it is preparing for a land invasion. But that would be risky for Israel, because its military is prepared and dominant for this kind of conflict, with rockets. Land invasion would result in new problems called guerrilla wars that they couldn't control. At the end, that was one of the reasons why Israeli military forces withdrew from Gaza in 2005. Events in this region provoked reactions from all around the world, but surprisingly, the United States, the greatest ally of Israel, are still pretty silent and without concrete actions. This will definitely be the first big foreign policy crisis and challenge for the Biden administration. Also, it can have consequences at internal affairs in Israel, because its Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had challenges to form the new government, and this situation could be favorable to him and his party. Where this could go is uncertain. Will it 
be the new chapter in Israel-Palestinian conflict? Could it provoke a war of large proportions? And what consequences it will cause? We will continue to follow and bring it to you in the next weekly report. ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. With those words, U.S. Congresswoman Liz Cheney commented on her removal from Republican congressional leadership. Because of her stays on the Capitol riot, her impeachment vote and opposition to former U.S. President Donald Trump's false stolen election narrative brought Trump Freedom Caucus members of the House Republican Conference attempted to remove her from the party leadership in February this year. In a meeting behind closed doors on Wednesday, she was replaced with Congresswoman from New York, Elise Stefanik, who was backed by the former president. On the first hand, this might look like common within party turmoil, but it is more than that. January 6th this year in Washington was like never before. It really became, as former President Trump announced, a historic day, but not for good. That morning, near the White House, the then-president spoke at the Save America march, and after that his supporters went to the Capitol, where a joint session of Congress assembled to count electoral votes to formalize Joe Biden's victory. That escalated into riot and violent attack with five deaths and more than 140 injured. President Trump was widely seen as responsible because he organized that rally and gathered his supporters in D.C. when Congress should verify his election loss, he refused to admit. Liz Cheney, a Republican congresswoman from Wyoming and daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, called Trump responsible for storming the Capitol and announced her vote for president's impeach. Those days, top Republicans distanced themselves from outgoing president, including Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy. He didn't support Trump's impeach, but called him responsible. Trump left the office on January 20th and moved to Florida, in his residence Mar-a-Lago. From the beginning, it began to imply that he should run again in 2024. It soon became clear that Trumpism isn't gone with Trump's first term. His supporters stayed as an important political base for Republican Party, who now lost control in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. Ambitious McCarthy who wants to take the speaker's hammer from Nancy Pelosi in the next cycle, started working and meeting with former president in Mar-a-Lago, because he will need his money and voters in 2022. Cheney, who represented the side of the party that ended with Trump, continued to criticize the former president, so she needed to pay a price. Her removal from GOP leadership shows that populism factions who support Trump's rhetoric 
overpowered other sides and continue to direct the course of the party in that way. It looks like the Republican Party will remain Donald Trump's hostage for some time, maybe preparing him for the second round in 2024. Cheney did not deny that she would run herself in 2024 because, as she said, she will do everything in her power to keep Donald Trump one-term president. Which side will prevail definitely will determine the long-term future of the Grand Old Party. Now we are going to Colombia, where we are currently witnessing extreme police violence and excessive use of force. Many young people have lost their lives on the street protesting, and the most brutal homicide committed by the government force was caught on video. It was started by the proposal of tax reform by President Ivan Duke. This tax reform would lie hard on the low income and middle class. So the National Unemployment Committee, made up of unions and labor organizations, called for protests on April 28. The protest continued to this day. And now our co-host Sara will tell us what we can expect in our next episode next week. Thank you, Sirjan. Next week, we are listening to the episode, What is happening in Colombia? My guest was Natalia Herrera. She's a human rights lawyer with a postgraduate specialization in justice, victims and peacebuilding of the National University of Colombia. Natalia works in the Corporación Jurídica Yira Castro, a non-governmental organization that provides comprehensive legal advice to the victims of the armed conflict and vulnerable populations in Colombia. She will give us the special insight in what is happening in her country and help us understand why. Thank you, Sarah. I'm sure this will be a great episode and I strongly recommend it. That was all for this weekly report. I hope that you are like our new segment here on the Polynet podcast. If so, please help spread the word. Tell your friends about it, post about it on social media and make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can do that on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.